This is Betatron, Investing in Asia, a podcast for people who want to invest in Asia's future. We're talking about Asia outside of China, where 44% of the world's population lives. They are young, they're digital natives, and their buying power is increasing by the day. I'm your host, Arshad Chowdhury, a partner with Betatron Venture Group based in Hong Kong. Betatron invests across Asia in markets where corruption, usually in the form of cash payments, bribery, and graft, are routine and frustratingly entrenched. We'll hear today from a founder on the ground, Amit Bansal, who is a CEO of Betatron portfolio company, 91 square feet. Amit comes to us from India. He has a background in civil engineering, an MBA from the National Institute of Industrial Engineering. He has exited previous startups in India, and now he's returning to his roots in the engineering world with a startup looking to modernize one of the most complex, large, and challenging industries in the world, which is construction in India. Thank you so much, Amit, for joining us. Thank you, Ashad, for having me here. What are some on-the-ground examples of corruption, bribery, illegal payments in the construction industry in India that you've seen firsthand? Not naming any names, but what does it look like? I know for certain that the people, the companies who are working in government, everybody seemed to tell me that there's no other way. In the private sector, also, there is always an intrinsic motivation. Like there was a company back in 2020. We got a project from them. We did really well. And we were not getting any more projects and they were giving us a hard time clearing our bills. And we went to their office and asked them, oh, what's wrong? We have done a good job. So why don't you consider us for the next project? We might offer you some discount and all this. So they were like, you guys don't know how to maintain a relationship. You will not get any work from this company. And that's, by the way, a global company operating in India. That's not even an Indian company. Wow. And so what does maintaining a relationship entail? Maintaining a relationship is simply means that, you know, we need to reciprocate, like there's a standard couple of percentage that you need to shell out from the project and you need to give it to the people who are awarding you the contract. So there has been some bad experiences like that. There has been some experiences wherein people were not very outspoken about it, but they were trying to pinpoint such issues which are not correctable. For example, let's say you laid out a concrete beam, right? And there's this minor crack, which happens in almost all development, but the guy's hellbent that I don't want this crack. And to remove that crack, you need to dismantle the whole building. So he's making such a point and trying to act stupid and adamant around it. It clearly points that he wants something from us. We took a decision that we will start saying no to all these kind of customers. So there was a time like, I think from June, July, August, September, October, our deliveries were not up to the mark. We, they were not up to the point wherein we wanted it to be. We fixed it later. And there was, again, this amplifying factor of people trying to ask unnecessary favors. And these two things combined painted an aura in our mind. Internally, we were discussing that there's no other way to survive in this market. We have to shell out some favors. But then we decided that we'll not go down this path. Instead, let's try to improve our deliveries. And even still, it, it doesn't happen. Then we'll see what to be done around that. And we were hurt the most by corruption when our deliveries were not on point. Now that our deliveries are on point, we are not facing that trouble too much. Right now, in the last three months, there's a zero customer churn. There's a positive net revenue retention on every single account. Every, every customer is giving us more and more project. We were also able to revise some of the customer we lost during that six months period when our delivery was not up to the point. So now I don't think the world has changed in this short period of time. I think that 
corruption hurts you the most when your own affairs are not in right order. Oh, wow. So it might be almost a penalty yeah, um, for inefficiencies. Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. Give us an overview as to what you're actually working on and how it touches on improving the construction industry. In my view, the construction industry in India is ripe for a massive technological adoption like has happened with the logistics sector in India. In the last five, seven years, there has been a massive shift wherein lots of company created demand planning, supply planning, and logistics algorithms around logistics and transportation. Now I think the time has come for construction wherein every business which is involved with construction, be it a buyer, be it a brand looking to build up retail store warehouses, be it a contractor, everybody is targeting efficiencies and they all know that technology can help them be more efficient. We demonstrated that by right technology adoption, a business can save up to 10% of the spend that they're incurring on their construction project. We are really after making construction more efficient and faster. We are piloting in India, we have built a complete product suit around it. How we call it R dash a project planning and management software. So how does it work? I understand you're servicing banks and coffee shops and any big brands that want to start multiple retail stores very quickly. But how exactly do they interact with your platform? The core feature is that it resolves friction in collaboration amongst multiple stakeholders. So imagine that you have to build a Starbucks, let's say in Gurgaon, right? To build a Starbucks, there would be a project manager from the brand side. There would be a designer who will be creating that identity layout. There would be a general contractor who will be responsible for the majority of on-site work. There's some OEMs who are supplying different kind of raw material, right? So there are lots of stakeholders. To get single project done, it ranges in 25 to 35 people. Now, in this kind of a system, when, where there's a lot of collaboration, you need to have single interface wherein there's a centralized information flow and everybody is chiming in and doing their part. And this information repository just keeps on developing so that up-to-dated information is available for every stakeholder. But now things are not like that. In the current system, how things are happening is a brand would make the purchase decisions around the project in their separate financial ERPs. They will track the projects through WhatsApps and emails and phone calls. They will plan the schedule on Excel sheets. So there are different platforms in which they are managing project and which kind of breaks the information flow. So what we have done is we have created a project management platform. We call it R-Dash. Over R-Dash, the entire life cycle of the project can be managed. It works on a mobile application, which is used by the people who are on ground. It works on a tablet, which is used by the designers who are going out for surveys and all that things. And it definitely works on the web interface. So by bringing in all this information around the project, all the purchase decision, planning, tracking, everything at one place, it unlocks better decision-making, more data-driven decision-making for the stakeholders who are making the purchase decisions. It involves better collaboration between the ground team and the people who are remote, maybe the designers and the central headquarters staff and all these kind of people. We demonstrated the solution in our own environment wherein we started operating like a contractor and we use R-Dash to demonstrate to brands that, hey, look, by using this tool, we can build your stores 50% faster and probably a 10% cheaper price. And we have been doing that all along, right now building close to 80, 90 stores a month. We've launched R-Dash full stack version October last year. And since the time we have grown 2.5x and we are planning to continue similar kind of growth trajectory in the remaining part of this year as well. The 91 square feet platform reduces the opportunities for corruption or unnecessary or inappropriate payments. How does it do that? 
And have you seen that working effectively? Yeah, it, it does that, but we don't position it like this. <laughs> we don't talk about this at all that it will. So we, when we say brand that will save you 10 to 12%, we say that it will save you out of inefficiencies while we know that four out of this 12% is coming purely out of the leakages. The main problem in construction industry is the purchase systems that all these brands have, this current ERP systems wherein they, they create a purchase orders or approves a payment request and release the payments through, right? All this ERP system. These ERP systems do not understand the scope of a particular project on a line item to line item basis. And that's where that devil is. So what happens is every time a company tries to make a payment or issue a purchase order, they attach the project scope as a pdf or an excel sheet attachment and finance and it basically works on approval that this guy's approved and this that guy's has approved and because everybody has approved so the po's and payments would be released and when you create an excel sheet attachment in a purchase order which nobody's looking at that creates the opportunity for loads of leakage how we have fixed it in r dash is that the purchase orders on construction projects are created on line item to line item basis the supplier has to report the progress on line item to line item basis and at the end of the project every line item quantities are audited and logged and this audit report stays at the fingertip of the project manager and the company people in their mobile application whenever they are visiting the site they can always open the audit report and they can verify it possibility of making a bad move or malicious move by fudging in the quantities and maybe the rates around it and getting away with that is very minuscule it can only happen when everybody in the system, like all these 25, 30 people are on your side, which is generally not the case. So we are just making things more transparent for everybody. And that's how the system is kind of taking care of itself. But the industry that you're dealing with has been notoriously slow to adopt technology. It's been estimated that productivity in India's construction industry has actually decreased by some two or 3% over the last 20 years mainly because of a lack of adoption to technology. Yeah. So, Ashit, you are right, actually. So the reason why India has been slow in adopting technology in construction, there are two reasons. Obviously, there's corruption, there's a intrinsic motivation, people who are not operating in an ethical way, it will just expose them up. But I think the bigger blocker, the more systematic blocker so far has been that the manpower has been really affordable here. Like, imagine that you are trying to sell to a contractor that you can get your daily progress report of your construction project through this application, you just have to train your supervisors to use this application on a day-to-day -day basis. And he would say that I can put up a 15,000 bucks kind of a resource at the side and he will give me the similar data and he will do more tasks for me. So that's how the mentality has been that because the manpower has been so affordable, people felt like I'll just put up some extra headcount around this problem and I'll sail through it. But now one thing that has changed is that people are now starting to wake up to the reality that adding extra headcount in this whole collaboration cycle ruins the productivity of everybody. Adding extra man is not a solution. The solution is to reduce as many men as possible. In the large construction companies, in the large builders in India, the next generation has taken over. And this change is happening right now. The last two weeks, I met four builders and in three out of them, the next generation has taken over. And they are all looking out at how we can make things more efficient. They want to really make things cleaner. So I definitely see a wave of excitement towards adopting technology and and in fact it is to an extent that people are adopting fancier technologies which are not even that relevant as of their use case because there's just that kind of a wave going around that's really exciting 
What guidance do you have for investors who are trying to do due diligence on companies that might be in industries where corruption is more prevalent or companies who might be suffering from or engaging in corrupt practices like bribery? I think most of my friends, we are, I'm working in construction. Most of my friends are working in supply chain, logistics, these kind of fields. Most of them are running startups. And from the founder side, I have rarely seen a malicious intent because everybody, if you would see that most of the startup founders in India, whosoever is building a startup is living behind a cushy, comfortable job, right? That's the, that's the typical scenario. And all these people, the way I know them, is not working so hard from the intent to create some extra bucks. They are all working to, with an intent to create a legacy. So I don't see much of an intention from the founders side to adopt the corrupt practices. And I sort of see the corruption on three levels as well. Level A, where the founder himself is corrupt and kind of pilfering money from the company. Level B is that kind of falsely reporting on the progress reports and data on, in the analysis. And level three is like, engaging in the corrupt practices like giving bribery and all these kind of things to kind of propagate the company growth. I think level A is almost missing. I don't see that to be a problem. Level D is a gray area. Founders can, investors can always be diligent around it. They can ask sharper numbers. They can ask for GST records instead of asking numbers from MIS or numbers from tele. So right now the India government has done so much that these kind of the hard data around a company is very difficult to be false or misreported. So if the investor just be extra careful in verifying what is being stated by the company with the GST data and there's new system account aggregator, A is called that, that new infrastructure in the statutory compliance is also getting launched. So I think the B, the second sort of problem wherein the founders are misreporting the fact is also quite minimal. Now the third bucket, I think is is the most gray, you can say, difficult to spot kind of an area wherein founders are propagating company growth by engaging in malpractices. It's very difficult actually for an investor to kind of get into this and understand where the where the wrong stuff, wrong favors are being exchanged. I think maybe you can try and get a sense around it by benchmarking the company performance with the competition speaking with the customers directly why you are giving business to this particular company and you can smell a lot people who are kind of in bets with the with, with the with the company operators would kind of try to paint extra rosy picture in front of you so all this may be a red flag sign and probably deep diving into the books of account the cash flows will also kind of give you that clarity so i think these are the possible ways and most likely you will get to know this when you speak with the founder you probe them questions around growth, how, how do you plan to grow? People who generally say that we plan to grow by giving more discounts, we plan to grow by building deeper relationships and with no real solid plan around how the mode will be created, how the customer will stick to you. And so I think that's also a red flag. So you, you probably need to spot a signal wherein you smell that there is a chance that the malpractices would be happening. And then you need to dig in. I don't think there's any other way. 100% agree. I think all of that is spot on. One thing that we like to do, in addition to all of what you just mentioned, is talk to former employees. I think former employees, even interns, people who were recently let go, and even people who worked at the company at its inception and left at some point, are all rich source of insight into the founders' practices, 
which I think is helpful for any investor doing due diligence. Turning to the future, what's coming up for your company? What are you most excited about? What does the rest of 2023 look like for you guys? So Ashad, I'm most excited about the kind of speed we are going to unlock in construction. Just to give you some benchmark, right now it takes close to six to eight weeks to build a retail stores. We are on the verge of creating a system wherein we would consistently deliver a retail store in less than 15 days. That would be like 4x the speed. And we have no doubt that speed is the absolute winner in this market. It's not cost. It's not quality. It's not precise adherence to timelines. It's not all of that. It's just speed. The company which can deliver the fastest will get the next order. If you are a project manager and you have three stores to be built in and you, you have given the first two stores, to two different contractors and the first contractor built it in 15 days and the second one is still lagging behind the schedule you know it's a no-brainer for you who you will give the next door to right and all these other things like prices and quality and everything takes a backseat and i'm not saying that with an intent that we will not be mindful about quality i think that to deliver speed consistently need to create such a robust supply chain that the quality takes care of itself along the process of achieving the speed with consistency so yeah, I'm really looking forward to building stores in 15 days. If you guys can achieve that, that's incredible. You're already building 80 to 90 stores per month. So yeah. I believe you because you guys have a lot of experience here. Uh, now on the demand side, what are you seeing? Do you feel like there's any challenges with this macroeconomic backdrop of continued inflation, especially around construction prices and, or rather raw material prices, steel prices. Are you seeing any slowdown in demand? No, no. For us, demand is pumping really. Like, I don't know whether it's a tailwind effect or India was just at a stage wherein the retail infra was not up to the mark. At this moment, reality is India is massively building retail infra. Some of the top companies in India, like Reliance Group and Tata, they are spending close to billion dollar a year on retail fitouts. So, Right now, the kind of momentum the country is seeing, I think we are positioned in the right place in the right time. We just need to execute it well. I don't see any macroeconomic blocker here. One of the challenges that we've seen over the last few years and we think will be kind of endemic to supply chains around the world is around shortages, shortages of supplies that are required to complete projects. As such, baked into the Betatron thesis around our investments, is the view towards next generation procurement systems. How do you look at the challenges related to securing supplies on a timely basis for all of your construction projects going forward, given that we've seen so many supply chain challenges over the last few years and probably going forward, we will see continue to see those. Yeah, so I should, the kind of market we are operating in is predominantly based stores and warehouses. And the material supply chain around these projects is fairly local. I would say more than 98, 99% of the supplies that we use are fairly local, right? The core fundamental behind when you design a retail store, a warehouse that you want to, you are always thinking about scale. You are not introducing any exotic component, which will kind of take a lot of lead time and kind of derail your entire planning because you also want to make it very light touch. You want to launch it in as short, sweet possible time as possible. Right. So for us, I don't see that to be a challenge, but maybe in future when we go into larger categories of construction and commercial projects and infra developments and all, all these kind of things at that point in time, but not for 23, I don't see that to be a challenge for us. 
Okay, fantastic. This has been really enlightening. I want to take a moment to say thank you and congrats on what you guys have built so far. I think you've been putting a lot of pieces in place for rapid expansion for the next few months and years ahead. So I'm very excited for you guys and I'm looking forward to continuing the journey together. Yeah, Ashad, I think I will see some exciting time up ahead. And thanks for having me here. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for listening today. If you want to know more about Betatron, where we invest in fast-growing B2B startups throughout Asia, visit our website at betatron.co. I'm your host, Arshad Chowdhury. Find me on Twitter at ArshadGC, where I'd love to hear your ideas about guests and topics related to investing in Asia.